0: Hello, I'm Laura Hamilton. Welcome to Booklarder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's community cookbook shop. Today, we're bringing you another conversation recorded just for this podcast. This time with the delightful Allison Roman and her latest book, Nothing Fancy. I first met Allison 2 years ago when she toured for her first cookbook, Dining In. She was clearly someone who had the wind in her back. She had a new column in the New York Times, a growing social media following, and the book was showing up on all of the big best books of the year lists. It's been a bestseller at BookLarder ever since. In the past 2 years, her career has boomed, and she's one of the most popular food writers working today. She's created recipes that have gone viral online, added a monthly Bon Appetit column to her already busy schedule, and has now released another New York Times bestseller in Nothing Fancy. We talked about her fuss-free approach to having people over, what it's like to have work that goes viral, and why one should never apologize when it comes to cooking. Here's Allison Roman and Nothing Fancy. <laughs> thank you for taking the time. Of course. And welcome to Seattle.
1: Thank you. I love Seattle. It is so beautiful here right now.
0: Oh my gosh. We rolled out this weather just for you. It is
1: an extreme picturesque fall. I love it. Yeah.
0: Your book I think is perfect for an extreme picturesque fall. Um, It is. And you are very clear with this book that it is not about entertaining. It is about having people over. Right. Yes. So tell me more about that.
1: It Is just like the slight distinction between the two and really it's just a rebrand, if you will, because entertaining is having people over, but we think of it as like this really fussy, elaborate, sort of high stress situation where like sends everybody into a panic and you have to plan for eight days and, you know, freak out about something and something's not good enough and having people over is just like a very relaxed sort of casual can mean come over for a cheese plate and some wine or it could mean like come over for some beers and chips or... A roast chicken and five salads. Like, it can literally mean whatever you want it to.
0: And you have three things. There's sort of guidance for people, I guess. And the one that really resonated for me was the idea that you should never apologize.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm working on that myself, to be honest. But yeah, the idea that you should not apologize is... I'm extending that to the kitchen, and that's like a Julia Child-ism from way back of the like...
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) And... I really tried to absorb that into my mantra when I was cooking because I am a people pleaser and I'm a perfectionist. And I felt like when things wouldn't go well, I would just apologize profusely. And then everybody else kind of ended up feeling bad or awkward or weird. And the whole vibe changed. So, you know what? Don't apologize. No one will know. They'll be none the wiser if you forgot the parsley in your salad or, you know, you didn't get to the fifth dish you were going to make or if the cake was a little soggier than you wanted it to be. Like, you know, just embrace the imperfections and just try to roll with it
0: because otherwise you're going spoil to the, spoil the mood. That's right. It's funny that you say you're a perfectionist because one of your other pieces of guidance that I always struggle with is ask for help. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get to a place? I think I just became too
1: busy. I yeah. became too busy and I became too crazy. And I also realized that we were eating way too late. And I was like, you know what? Don't be a hero. Just ask for help. <laughs> even if it's not exactly how you would do it it's still good i think that people like to be involved and if they offer help take them up on it
0: yeah and when you have people over do you think about things like who you're inviting and like what the kind of combination of people will be are there things you know that sort of go beyond the food you're putting on the table that you think about oh for
1: sure yeah i'm i'm definitely like a guest list curator it's not super calculating but i am Mindful that if I invite one couple who doesn't know anybody else there, like, unless they're very gregarious, they might have a hard time assimilating into the group because all my Mm -hmm. other friends will have known each other. Mm -hmm. So, if I'm going to introduce new people, I like to introduce a few new people at the same time. And that way, everybody's on a level playing field.
0: One of the other things that I really appreciate about the book, and it's funny, Paulina, who works here in the store, and I were chatting last night about you know, sort of your style and how personal it is. And we were thinking, who was the Alison Roman of, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And it's funny that you mentioned Julia Child, because I said, you know, she's kind of like TV Julia Child, you know, where like, (laughs) where she's very much herself, like her writing style is very much her voice. Your first book, you introduced that, but in this one, it feels like you really fully embrace your own voice.
1: Yeah. Well, I realized I didn't have a choice. As you know, there are a lot of cookbooks out there yeah. and everybody writes a cookbook if they want. And unless you have something to say and like a unique perspective, it's like, what what are you doing? Because anyone can write a recipe, right? Anyone can take a picture of a plate of food overhead and, you know, do the thing. Hire the food stylist, hire the pop stylist. There's a, a way to do it if you wanted to. Literally anybody, if you're listening and you don't even know how to cook, I promise you you could write a cookbook if you wanted. <laughs> there is a way. And so I realized that the only way to stand out for myself and just feel like I was creating space for what it was that I was building was to be a thousand percent myself. And I realized that in the process that I probably lose a few people along the way. I'm not for everybody, <laughs> but I felt like the people that I was for, they were going to go all in, Yeah. you know, and and at least I could say I was myself because even some parts of dining in, like when I'm reading it now, I'm like, oh, that's a little like sweet for me. You know, (laughs) I'm like, I was like, I was really downplaying my sass. And I also just think that I was a different place in my life Mm -hmm. personally and professionally and more comfortable generally. And I think that's also because you get older, you get into your mid thirties and you're like, you know what? This is me. Yeah. And I'm not trying to like build a version of me for you to know as the reader and then my friends to know as a real person. Right. I would like that person to be the same person for everybody yeah. Yeah. for better or for worse.
0: And I noticed a few sort of themes as I read through the book. One is that you seem to have a love of ranch flavor. <laughs> I do love ranch flavor. I don't love creamy dressings, but I
1: love ranch flavor. Like, and you know what it is, is I love like green onions and chives and scallions and uh-huh. buttermilk together. Like that to me is just so delicious I don't even like to put it on stuff like I don't dip my hot wings in it I like to just eat it which is so gross but it's it's very good with vegetables and like as a dip but I don't like a runny dressing
0: I want like a thick spoonable dressing yeah, yeah. and cool ranch dorito yeah kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah the other that popped up a few times that I thought was funny was Italy and like experiences you'd had there dreaming of being there mm-hmm. is that a special place for you
1: Yeah, I just, I feel like both Italy and Mexico are two of my favorite places that I visited. I just really connected with the food in both of those countries and the people there and their style. I went last year to Japan as well for the first time, and that was really special. And everyone's like, oh my God, you're going to flip and die for the food. And I did, but I also didn't connect with it in a way that I thought I would, because to me, it was really about like precision and technique Mm. and restraint and subtlety and i find that to be similarly to how i feel about the food in france like mm. it's really about you know the fine tuning the delicateness the the technique of things and i feel like in a lot of other countries where i'm actually very in, more into the food it's about just like different flavors and boldness and like i don't know it's like passionate it feels yeah. feels a little bit more romantic it feels a little bit more messy maybe just like sensual is a weird word but yeah. I, that's like i don't know and i find that to be the case in like The places that I visited in Mexico and also Italy and, you know, even Spain. And um, I don't know. I just feel like there's you you can appreciate it all. You can you can have a love for all cultures and all foods. But just the, the style of cooking and eating I really connected with in those places. And so then
0: how do those influence your recipes? I don't know. I just think that, like,
1: I'm a pretty simple cook. Honestly, even if I knew how to do something in a fancy or technically apt way, it's not always what I would choose and it's not always what I would tell you to do. That is very much the case with those places where it's like, it's not like you must do it this way every time and it has to be perfect and da-da-da-da, which I find to be the case when I was in Japan and in France where it was very much about like that element And it just didn't connect with me and like a soul cellular level. Like I had many experiences where my mind was absolutely blown with the way something tasted or was presented. And I ate incredible food. But as a cook, it didn't tap into my pleasure center the way that like, you know, something in Mexico has.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate that you put ingredients that sometimes people are afraid of like anchovies Mm -hmm. or using the lemon, but like the peel and everything. Yeah. I get a lot of questions about that. Yeah. It says like one whole lemon comma,
1: like seeds removed, finely chopped. And every time people are like, what part of the lemon? I'm like, the whole thing about <laughs> the seeds. Everything but the seeds. My own my own mother like sent me a picture
0: of the recipe and was like, what part? I was like,
1: Mom, it says the whole it says the whole thing. Read the head notes. As I use the whole thing. She doesn't read the head notes.
0: It's fine. <laughs> but I feel like people trust you, right? To like take them to that place where it's like, the whole lemon, really? Okay, sure. Well, cookbook writing is a lot about trust.
1: And I think that you can only that's why like I feel like every step of this journey for me has been important and things can't happen overnight because you need to build up trust with people because you're spending a lot of money on a book and ingredients and it's your time. You want to make sure that whatever it is somebody's telling you is going to make you happy and you're going to have a good result. And taking a chance on an unknown person, like when dining in came out, I had a tougher time and I really felt like I was like a door-to-door salesman. And I was like, can I talk about (laughs) myself? Here's who I am. Please trust me. You have no reason to, but I promise everything is going to be great. And now at the second time, I find people a little bit there's an easier sell because they've cooked through dining in they've cooked through the New York times recipes. They work, they're happy with them. So they're more likely to invite me into their home again. Yeah. If you disappoint somebody once it's, I can't imagine they're going to come back and
0: buy your book, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure. Well, they also have cooked some of your quote unquote viral recipes. Yes. So you've had a couple of, well, more than a couple, but the two that come to mind for me are the cookies. From Dining In yes. and The Stew from The New York Times. Yeah, So you make a lot of delicious food. And it's like, you know, having cooked some of your stuff, if I was going to pick, like, the thing that I always shoved on people, I don't know if it would necessarily... They're great, but you make so much great stuff. What is it about those that you think, like, really caught on and resonated with people. I
1: don't know. I think it was like a right place, right time. I think before the cookies, nothing like that had happened before. So it was easy to to isolate it as like, oh, this is happening because now every time it happens, it's happening with like varying degrees. And I honestly don't have the bandwidth to like fan the flames the way that I used to. Yeah, I think that that had a lot to do with it. I think that it was published in three places that people could find online. Uh So they didn't necessarily even need to buy the book and I felt like I don't know, it was a good cookie.
0: It's a (laughs) delicious cookie. Listen, I
1: was not trying to change the world with that cookie, and I'm not saying that I have. (laughs) But like, you know, it was funny. There was like a backlash moment where people were like, "Is the cookie even that good?" And I'm like, "Yeah, dude, it's a cookie. It's It's a great cookie. Most cookies are good, right? Like, we could we could agree on that, right? So, the fact that this one became like the darling, I was not my intention. I was not trying to like stage mom it at all.
0: And what was that like for you?
1: It was another job. It was like, it, I did feel like a stage bomb. I felt like I had like, I was like in toddlers and tiaras. and <laughs> Like I had to like parade it around and like talk about it constantly. And it was cool and exciting because again, like I hadn't seen that before. And I was like, yeah, this was wild. Yeah. It just, it felt new. And so now when it happens, it's more challenging to gauge like, like when it's happening or how it's happening. And I was like, what's going to be the next one? And I'm like, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it only happened twice. And it was the stew and the cookies because now when things become successful, people are like, is this the dip? Is this the chicken? Is the, and I'm like, guys, I don't know. Like it's up to you. And, especially with a book coming out, there's so much stuff that people are cooking. So it's, it's hard to tell it's yeah. only been out a week. Yeah. So yeah. there are certain front runners, but I'm like, is that just because we're in squash season or da, da, da? Well, I have
0: seen it? Maybe it's just because we made it here and I've made it myself, but I've noticed people making the turmeric and lemon yeah, cake that, that's a good cause one. Cause it's beautiful. Yeah. And I think it's also one of those places where you've done something that's very simple, but also unexpected Yeah, I hope so. How did you get there with deciding to put turmeric in your cake?
1: Well, because I feel like lemon cakes are never yellow enough.
0: And lemon (laughs) and turmeric are really good together. So I was like, I want a turmeric tea
1: cake. That sounds cute. When I was developing the recipe, like there were varying degrees of turmeric. And, you know, I was like, oh, can you taste it enough? And I noticed that when I made it without it, I could visually taste that it wasn't there. In addition to like noticing that it wasn't there. Because it has like a big gingery vibe. Yeah. Um, But without being like, because it started off as a lemon ginger cake. And then I was like, I want to take the ginger out and I want to do turmeric instead. Yeah. When I increased the turmeric to like really make you taste it, I was like, it doesn't actually taste that good. It'd
0: probably be kind of dirty. It was
1: too, it was a bit too earthy for a cake. And so I think where we ended up is like, it's visually appealing. You can taste it. It gets the job done. It looks beautiful. Of course, you can, you can leave it out if you don't have it. It's going to still be delicious, but (laughs) with it is really special.
0: Yeah. So that brings up things going viral. Obviously, social media plays a role in that. Mm-hmm. And where do you see social media fitting into your life as a writer, as a person?
1: I'm struggling right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm really struggling
1: because I'm simply not able to pay as much attention to it as I want. And yeah. I can't tell if that's going to hurt me. You know, I don't have a person running my Instagram account. I don't uh-huh. have like a brand manager. I don't have a staff to make sure that I'm like getting up my content and like, you know, doing all the things. And like, it's just me. And so it's like me in bed, like before and after, before (laughs) I wake up and after, before I go to sleep, trying to keep up and like also like filter it so it feels cohesive because just slapping up everything that I'm tagged in is not interesting for you, the consumer of the content. And it (laughs) makes me feel weird because then it just feels lazy. And then I'm like, so how do I curate it without going crazy? And I think right now, because the book did just come out, there's a lot going on. Yeah, And so I'm really trying to be like, okay, I'm waking up, I'm checking emails, I'm responding to emails, I'm showering, hopefully, (laughs) I'm, like, running to an event, I'm running to another event, I have to do some work that, like, deadlines, pieces that are due in New York time, like, and then I'm also supposed to, like, make a story on, like, who's cooking what, and then also do a story on promoting my next event, but also the last event I was doing, like... It is so And you're much. driving
0: yourself yeah. places, yeah. which means you can't even, like, sit in the back of the cab and No. Catch, well, I get car whatever. sick, so
1: I, won't, I can't do that anyway. But on a plane, before we take off and if I have Wi-Fi, that's a good time because I'm just sitting there. Yeah. Um, I actually really love driving because that means I can't
0: look at my phone. Yeah. It's
1: a really beautiful excuse. Yeah. I
0: love it. I, I
1: had three blissful hours yesterday.
0: It was yeah. great. Do you listen to podcasts when you drive? You do audio books? No, your- I'm a
1: music person. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday I was on
0: calls for the whole three hours, but
1: still, because that's like a good opportunity to like get the calls in if you need them.
0: Yeah. So nothing fancy is about having people over and cooking for other people. What do you cook for yourself when you're home alone? (laughs) Not much,
1: to be honest. I make a lot of soups, even in the summer. I make a lot of like noodles, like chilled noodles with cucumber and chili oil. I eat that a lot. I also eat like cottage cheese and cucumber a lot. I eat toast with butter. (laughs) In the summer, I'll eat, like, sliced tomatoes with salt a lot. It's, like, snack time. I'm never really making myself a meal. I've never, ever seared a chicken by for just myself. I've just not done that. Yeah. But it's also because I'm working all day. Like, most of what I eat is what I'm developing. So my lunch is your dinner. You know? Like, (laughs) when I'm working during the day and I'm cooking these recipes, that's what I'm eating, really. So I'm never really just finding myself with spare time and, like, a hunger, like – if I am that hungry, I'm going out to eat. There's a place around the corner from my apartment called Rice and Miso, and they make onigiri and, like, little bento boxes. And I eat there all the time because it's fast. It's around the corner. It's good for you. And it's owned by the sweetest people, and I love to give them my money. Yeah. But I'm I'm so spent most of the time that, like, these days, I'm not really cooking that much for myself.
0: Yeah. We are headed into the holidays. Mm. What are the kinds of things that you do when you're hosting, like, a holiday meal?
1: Mm. I do the snack route, unless it's like a formal sit down. Last year I hosted a holiday party and I just got a giant ham. And I set out a bunch of rolls and mustards and pickles and like one salad. I made shrimp cocktail and that was it. And then I had people bring alcohol. I made like one batch cocktail, a big batch martinis. Mm -hmm. And people then brought wine and like chips and we kind of went from there. But I don't even try to like make a ton of dishes. If it's smaller, I mean, this was like a 60 person party. Yeah. So if it's smaller let's say eight people, one like largish piece of meat. I think it's a really good time for rib roasts. Mm-hmm. It's not always appropriate, but I feel like there's something about the holidays that feels like it is. Mm-hmm. I will always prefer that to like a braised meat. Mm-hmm. And then from there, like, I don't know, like I have a big New York Times piece coming out soon. That is sort of like a good formula for me to follow for any holiday meal, which is like one big piece of roasty meat. and If you're vegetarian, maybe it's some other type of centerpiece. And then like your swedish orange vegetable your like tangy fresh green vegetable your potatoes your stuffing or your bready moment and like a sauce and that yeah. could be a gravy or a salsa verde or whatever like i think kind of making sure all places are represented and then dessert yeah
0: okay i love your books for it. oh well thank you yeah, and thank you so much for again for taking the. Time. of course it's yeah. so
1: special to have a store that's dedicated to cookbooks
0: thank you so much for doing this thank you for having me Thank you, Allison, for coming by after yoga class and before Cherry Bomb Jubilee to have this conversation. As always, you can get 10% off a copy of Nothing Fancy and any other books featured on Booklarder Podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code podcast at checkout. We have signed copies of Nothing Fancy and many of the other featured books, so get those while they last. They make excellent holiday gifts. If you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you feel like it, please leave us a review. That really helps other people find us, and we would appreciate it. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at booklarder. For more information about Book Larder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit booklarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, visit us in person at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Lara Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.